and my mother is actually the most wonderful uh, woman in the whole wide world. She really is. And I got my sister here, and yes, we come from a family of ten, and uh, and we're all very close. Okay, uh, I'm a judge in Lake County. I sit in criminal court, and people often say it's got to be tough to be a judge. And I say, you know, sometimes it is because you deal with a lot of really uh, bad people. You deal with people in terrible predicaments. And people also ask, so what's your favorite part about being a judge? I'm like, well, that's easy. Recess, of course. <laughs> uh, everybody loves recess. Um, but, um, you know, a pessimist might say that when somebody comes to court, uh, it's already too late. The deed has been done. The person has already been committed the crime. The victim has already been victimized. And if the person's guilty, then what we as a society should do, and I as a judge should do, is just exact our pound of flesh for society, send the person to jail, and say, okay, that's it, next case. And you know, for a judge, actually, being very, very harsh on people is kind of the easiest thing to do. Because very rarely would you ever see a judge get criticized for being really tough on somebody for sending them to prison for a long time or to jail for a long time. The hard thing for a judge to do is to take a risk and take a chance on somebody. Because when I take a chance on somebody and they're convicted of a crime and I let them out to try to get them to rehabilitate to become a good member of society, I'm taking a risk because God forbid that person hurts somebody else or kills somebody, that would be on my watch. And so that's a difficult part of my job. And the severest justice can also be an injustice. And so I'd like to tell you a story about a woman that I had in front of me. She's a 20-year-old woman, and she had a terrible, terrible background. Um, she had an abusive childhood. She dropped out of school. She didn't have a good family life. Um, and she was placed on probation, and during her probation, she frankly was terrible. She not only continued to do drugs, continued to do alcohol, but she continued to commit more crimes. There was, uh, she would damage people's property, she would steal. And so she came before me, and this is where the prosecutor was seeking to throw her back into jail, or throw her into jail, saying, Judge, she can't survive out there, let's put her in jail. And so what I did is I told her, I said, Miss, listen, there are repercussions when you don't follow the rules. And there are very real repercussions in the world, and I'm putting you in jail. But I had her up the next day, and the attorney came to me, stood up, her attorney, and said, Judge, we have a negotiation. She's going to admit that she violated her probation, and we're going to send her to a long term in jail. And I said, what? Yes, Judge, that's what the agreement is. She just can't do probation. And I looked at her, and I said, Miss, is this what you want? And she was laying, standing there with her shoulders hunched and her hair hanging down in her eyes. And her sad, old eyes looked up to me and she said, yes. I said, why is this the end? To go to jail and then to get out and to be back not only where you are right now, but in a worse situation. Why? And she looked up to me and she said, judge, I'm worthless. I've never had anything. I've never accomplished anything in my life. I have no value. I'm worthless. And every day before I go out on the bench, I have a crucifix in my chambers. And I try to remember to hold that crucifix and I say, Dear Lord, I mean, it's very important work when you're judging people. Only the Lord should judge, but that's my job is to judge. 
And I say, dear Lord, please give me the wisdom and the discernment to make the right decision. And I looked at that woman and all of a sudden I remembered Christ on the cross and the ultimate sacrifice that he gave to us and the eternal hope that he gives each and every one of us each and every day. Gosh, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And I said, you are not worthless. I said, you know what my religion teaches me? My religion teaches me that you are an immortal soul and you have more worth than all the gold in the entire world. You are worth saving. You are worth more than anything. And for me to just accept this and say this is it, what are you going to do? She says, Judge, I just can't do it. I says, you can do it. She goes, I've never had a good job. I said, have you had work? She goes, yes, I've only been a waitress. I'm like, what do you mean only a waitress? All work is good work. Because all you have to do in this life is you've got to try your hardest and you've got to be decent to others and you've got to love one another. And I said, here's what I'm doing is I'm rejecting this offer. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to go back to the jail tonight and I want you to think about this. Because I'm willing, if you tell me I want to do it, I'm willing to support you. And she went off and she came back the next day. She went to jail. She came back the next day and she looked. She came in and she looked at me and the attorney says, Judge, or I called her mother up because I always want the mothers up there. Uh, the fathers, unfortunately, aren't there very often. And the mother came up and I looked at this girl and the attorney said, Judge, she's going to take your offer. I said, oh my Lord, really? And she looked up and she just started sobbing. And her mom started sobbing. And I said, oh my God, do you know what a wonderful day this is? Because I believe that you just told me that you really want to do this. And you know what's wonderful is that your mother is sitting right here. You are so far ahead of so many people. Because two things, what's happening right now, tell me is that you have compassion and that you have someone who loves you. Your mother's standing right there. What a wonderful start. And she ended up being one of my success stories. Can you elaborate a little bit on the, um, the, um, the resources that you can draw on for a person who comes before the court? Yes. And um, we have a lot, Lake County, we're a very fortunate place. We have a wonderful probation office, uh, great probation officers, and we got a lot of resources. And this woman had a drug alcohol problem, but she also had a, um, a, a mental disorder. She, was, uh, she had, was seeing a psychiatrist, and most places would not take her and, uh, because of that. And we were able, through the resources there, fashion, and the probation officer was able to find a place where people who suffer from dsm 4 disorders or you know, like schizophrenia or bipolar, who also have substance abuse uh, issues where she could get in, but she had to get a doctor and have her medication all set up. But there's tremendous resources, and what's unfortunate is those resources aren't always available for the people who are charged with crimes. But, uh, but we do in Lake County, we're very fortunate. Uh, we have people that look very hard. Uh, and it takes, it takes a lot of donations from people to keep these things going. And so,
you know, we as Christians, what happened yesterday is yesterday. We can't change that. And this is what I try to tell people in front of me. But what's beautiful about this life of ours, and what I told this young lady, what is so beautiful about this life of ours, is that there's always the dawn of a new day. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, there's always a dawn of a new day, a new hope. While our yesterdays may have been ugly, our tomorrows can be beautiful. We can't change yesterday, but we can change tomorrow. We can lead a wonderful and fulfilling life. You know, we sometimes, uh, when people come in front of me in court, one of the common refrains and I hear is that I'm very insignificant from these people. A lot of people don't have good jobs. They're not doctors. They're not lawyers. They're not CEOs of corporations. But you know, I tell people all work is important. All work in God's eyes is so, so very important. And if you actually think about it, what was Christ his whole life? He was a carpenter. He worked in obscurity. And I don't think that's just a coincidence. That's Christ teaching us that we all have our work. He was no great prophet his first 30 years of his life. He was toiling. And that's what we all need to do, whatever our job is. And I read an obituary that really kind of hit home with all this. The obituary, I love reading obituaries from small towns. It may seem odd, but I find it wonderful to see people's life story. And in this obit in a small town, it was a guy, an older man who died, and they had a quote from his son. And his son said, you know, my dad never made the headlines. He never made the news. He wasn't a famous person. No awards were given to him by the mayor. But you know what he did? He got up every day and went to the factory and put in a good, honest day's work to put a roof over our head and to feed our family. And when he came home, he gave us the love that made us feel like we were the most important human beings in the world. And in his quiet, soft way, he loved us more than anybody, I think, could ever love us. He never made headlines. But to us, he was the greatest man who ever lived. And isn't that a wonderful lesson for all of us? Because we all have, this life's work is our journey, isn't it? And our life's work is not just when we go punch the clock. It starts when we wake up in the morning, and it ends when we close our eyes at the end of the day. Our life's work includes when we're at play, when we're at work, when we're at home. It's very important stuff. Al Lynch, a Congressional Medal of Honor winner, really captured this. Here's this guy in Vietnam. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor because what he did is he went into enemy fire in a field and rescued not one, not two, not three, but four of his comrades. Kept running out into that field and dragging them back. And he got the Congressional Medal of Honor for his bravery. And he said, you know, that's not brave. True bravery or true heroism is something that is a lifelong thing that you don't get written up about. True, brave, true heroism is a lifelong thing that you don't get written up about. And so each one of us, when we're working in obscurity, can be a hero each and every day. Not only do we have to remember that, but we've got to tell others in our work and in our home that that can be the case.
because our life's work is our ministry. In Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? With our faith as our foundation, with Jesus Christ living within us, let all of us carry on this important work that we call life without fear. Let all of us carry on, or let all of us tell others to continue to carry on this important work we call life without fear. And to quote Abraham Lincoln, with malice toward none and with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us all strive on to finish the work we are in. Thank you. Okay, does anybody have any questions? Like how they ever become a judge? <laughs> and I have no answer for that myself. Uh, yes, miss. Yes, um, and yes, and uh, you know, I told people I used to be a prosecutor for many years, and as a prosecutor, I just go after defendants, and I never looked them in the eye, and I would just say, "Judge, he's a rotten, no good," you know, and send him to prison. When I became a judge, people stood before me, and all of a sudden, I saw the human being, and you see people who are afraid. You see people like this woman who I would kind of characterize as pathetic. You see evil. I mean, you see evil, deplorable people. And you just, and that's why I pray. I mean, good Lord, I'm a human being. And that's why on the bench, I, you know, when that woman went off that, that night, I, I said, oh, dear Lord, help her make the right decision. And so I really, I take my instincts. I take their record. You know, what has their history been? Um, and it's a, it's a situation I got I to gotta make a determination at that point. Um, and what I find, especially with young people, is I tell them, I said, hey, I put them in jail overnight, and I say, hey, listen, I'm going to let you out again, but I'm telling you, you're going to go back if you don't straighten up. And you can blame anybody you want, but it's going to all rest on your shoulders, and, and oftentimes a quick jail stint um, will help. But it is, I find it very difficult to... Longer I do it, it seems to be getting a little easier. Yes? Do you believe or have you seen that this jail and scare for young teenage addicts mm -hmm. is working? Um, yeah, what did they used to call that? A scared straight. And um, I know um, from the studies that they did, and scared straight I think was from the early 80s and the mid-80s, they found that it didn't work. Um, it didn't work, but they globbed everybody into one group, and I think they were doing scared straight, you know, one size fits all for that. And I think I have seen anecdotally in my courtroom that scared straight does work because I will put people in jail for a night, and the mom will be like sobbing, like, oh, my gosh, my baby's going to jail, you know. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but rules are rules. I'm not going to tolerate this. And you put them in jail for a night, and they're in a real jail and they know they're going to go back, it does have an effect. So I think it depends on the person. Uh, but you can't just go take a big group of people who've committed crimes and say, we're going to scare you straight. It just doesn't right. work. Because, and there's a lot of other issues going on. And drug and alcohol issues, you know, heroin is a terrible, terrible problem with young people right now. Park Ridge is, you know, there's problems with heroin in Park Ridge, these nice suburbs, supposedly nice suburbs. 
in Lake County, um, and you can't just scare somebody, say you're going to go to jail and let them out without treatment because, for example, heroin is just a terrible, terrible grip on people. And often, 99 times out of 100, they can't do it on their own. And, you know, one of the things that the, the cross gives us and our faith gives us is, you know, you're, I find that I'm, I'm able to look at people and see the goodness in them, you know, because everybody, uh, you know, um, did anybody ever see, what was that uh, spell, uh, spell check or what was that movie about the spelling bee? Anybody oh, ever see? Yeah. Anyways, yeah, saw the, you know, you see this movie, movie and it's, yeah, and all these people, you know, are just seem terrible, but by the end of the movie, you get to know them and you kind of like everybody. You know, there's <laughs> things to like about everybody, really, you know? And so what I try to, <laughs> and what I try to do as a judge is I try to look at what the, you know, not just, it's real easy for me just to look at the bad boy. You are rotten. Look at all you did. See you later. But there's a human being in there and everybody, you know? Is worth that Christ died on the cross for everybody, you know, and uh, and so um, you know some people I just I can't risk what they would do in society, but I try to do my best to to get the people if they can the help that they need. But it, the, a person's history and the crime that they committed sometimes you just you, you've got to send them to prison. Plus, the legislature mandates certain crimes if you're convicted of certain crimes. A judge cannot give them probation. You must sentence that person to prison. So there's a lot of crimes like that. Like a residential burglary. Somebody breaks into your house, that person's convicted of residential burglary, they must go to prison pursuant to the statute. No, no discretion on the part of the court at all. Okay? All right. Thank you.